I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. Local governments and political leaders have been trying to reckon with their racist pasts. It's been happening more in recent years as leaders have initiated efforts to undo some of the harms committed against different communities. California has spent the past two years studying and debating what reparations could look like for slave descendants in the state. There has been a range of reparation efforts in the Bay Area. In 2021, the city of Antioch issued a formal apology to early Chinese immigrants and their descendants for mistreatment that happened more than a century ago, including burning Chinatown to the ground. Earlier this year, the Berkeley City Council decided to hire a consultant in charge of a reparations effort. San Francisco has also taken its own local approach to reparations. And just last week, this happened in Oakland. It is a city that has a special sense of belonging, a sense that everyone should feel at home here. But you cannot feel at home when you have been put off of your own land. And so today, let that healing begin. That's Mayor Libby Schaff. Last week, five acres of city land was handed over to the control of an indigenous group called the Sagore Te Land Trust. It allowed municipal property to be used as reparations for European settlers stealing the territories of Native American tribes. Here's the co-director of Sagore Te and tribal spokesperson Karina Gould explaining why the plan is significant. I imagine a place a place called Oakland now that has running streams again, a place where we can all live together, taking care of one another. The Segorite Land Trust is really about reimagining the world in that kind of a way. Another effort is underway in Alameda County for Russell City. Maybe you've never heard of it. That's because the former majority Black and Latino city was erased almost 60 years ago when it was annexed into Hayward so that city leaders could turn it into an industrial park. Today on Fifth Emission, Chronicle reporter Sarah Ravani and columnist Justin Phillips join me to talk about the details of the latest local reparations efforts and what they mean to the communities they're meant to address, as well as the challenges ahead. Sarah and Justin, it's so great to have you both here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. So Sarah, I'd love to start with you. Oakland announced plans to return about five acres of land to permanent indigenous control. Tell me more about the details of this plan. Oakland announced last week that it would return five acres of city land to an indigenous women-led land trust for them to decide, you know, what to do with the land. And it was their way of giving reparations to a community that has suffered from genocide and a horrifying history. Oakland is creating a cultural easement at Sequoia Point, which sits above the Sequoia Bayview Trail, which is one of the most popular trails in Joaquin Miller Park. And a cultural easement is basically a legal arrangement that allows the city to transfer the right to use the land for cultural purposes. So that means it can be used for ceremonial traditions or native habitat restoration and other educational activities. It means that the city still retains the title to the property, 
but the land trust has basically almost all of the rights that an owner would. So, Justin, this is pretty significant, right? It's been reported that Oakland is the first city in California to use municipal property as reparations. And there are a lot of efforts to create a reparation strategy, both on the state and local levels. And you've written about these efforts. What's remarkable about this particular effort? Yeah, that's a great question. (laughs) I kind of feel like the answer is pretty simple. Land, 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 land. Like when it Mm -hmm. comes to a marginalized group or a group that's been disenfranchised for the longest, being able to occupy space, being able to have claim to something physical, land is a significant part of the idea of reparations. And to see that happen in reality, you know, as Sarah explained, like obviously it's complicated, but the, you know, the premise being that there is land being returned to a group. That's significant. That's what a lot of these reparations conversations are trying to get to. And to, to see it happen is pretty, it's pretty cool. And Sarah, you talked a little bit about what Indigenous leaders plan to do with the land. How do they say this really helps with undoing the harms of the past? Well, the leaders that I spoke to, so Karina Gold, who heads up the, the land trust, she said it's really part of the healing process. It kind of helps heal the harms of the past. So Karina told me that, you know, immediately what they're planning to do is kind of restore the natural habitat. They want to start to grow plants that are indigenous to that particular piece of land. And their hope is that in the long term, so maybe in the next five to 10 years, that they can open a cultural resource center there and make it accessible to the public. You know, right now, that particular area is not accessible by cars, for example. So they want to open it back up. That's the long-term vision. And Justin, in one of your recent columns, you wrote about an East Bay town called Russell City, which no longer exists because it was annexed into Hayward so that city leaders could turn it into an industrial park. This was a largely Black and Latino farming community that became displaced. And Hayward is trying to make it right 60 years later. How? So they have a program, a restorative justice program, where they're exploring the ways that they can make it right. Like they're very, uh, they're very careful about using the phrase restorative justice opposed to reparations. You know, it's in its early phases. It has multiple phases. It's going to take years to complete, but it's going to begin with them tracking down the former Russell City residents because, you know, 60 years ago, they were all dispersed to other areas of the Bay Area. A lot of these people are in their 70s and 80s. You know, many have passed away. So it's going to take work to get back in touch with them and have conversations with that community about what restorative justice could look like for them. And, you know, I, I think Hayward's being really realistic about it, you know, depending on what they say, like if it's something about getting land back, like that might take a monumental effort on Hayward's part and we'll have to figure it out. Or it could be, you know, something as light as an apology and, you know, some kind of monument. It, It can be anything. I think the door is open what they want, but that's what they've launched to try to figure out how to, uh, to make things right. It's really, really open. It's just a dialogue for the most part. And that effort was created because descendants of Russell City residents have been trying to get some type of 
recognition on the harms of the past. And we know that starting this process is really hard. And we saw after the 2020 murder of George Floyd, a lot of different cities, including Berkeley and San Francisco, tried to create reparations efforts. How, Sarah, did the return of Sequoia Point to Indigenous control come about? Yeah. So the mayor of Oakland, Mayor Libby Schaff, told me that in 2018, she had her first meeting with Karina Gold. And she said, you know, she had heard of Karina, who had protested uh, certain developments on certain sites that had tremendous significance to the local Ohlone population. And in that meeting, the mayor said it prompted a question, which was, of all the land that the city of Oakland has, owns, and controls, is there a piece of land that would have significance to Ohlone people? And Karina went back to her community, and together they selected Sequoia Point. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. So, Justin, obviously, reparations isn't an easy task. It takes a lot of difficult conversations. And it sounds like in the case with Sequoia Point, it takes the political will of local leaders Looking back at Russell City and what it faces now, what challenges are ahead of them? I feel like the challenges they face are what a lot of these cities and counties face when they talk about reparations, is getting full support behind it from the community. Because we're talking about a specific demographic that was harmed that wants you know, some form of restitution for those harms. And that might not be the lived experience for another group who's there. And so they have to figure out how to, you know, get public support behind these kind of conversations to be able to explain why this history is so harmful and why certain actions need to be taken. So I think that's one of the uphill battles that they face. And I also think, you know, another thing will be being realistic about what restorative justice looks like. You know, like this conversation is great, but I'm sure there are limits that the city has about what, what they what they can and can't do. And also building up, you know, like they're going to need public support for this kind of work. And so building that up, I think those are those are two of the really big hurdles. There's another one that I mentioned in the column, and that has to do with former Russell City residents and their descendants. But especially for the former residents, it's getting them to trust that a local government that harmed them a long time ago, now wants to do something good for them. You know, so it was like a, um, you know, the county pushed them out. They spent years being like, you know, we were wrong. We need someone to pay attention to this. And then the local government's like, hey, all right, we want to pay attention to it. It's going to be a lot of trust building. And Justin, even if there is consensus that something should be done, it's often hard to agree on what that should look like, right? right? We saw that with the California's Reparations Task Force, which really couldn't agree on who should qualify for reparations, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, for them, their, their thing was big, like, define, you know, defining that it's descendants of child slavery or just all Black people. Like, that was a big, big question for the statewide task force, at least for Hayward former Russell City residents and their descendants, like it's a little bit smaller in scope. And you're right. We don't know what kind of questions will come up. And you make a great point. Like there's going to be questions that pop up 
Maybe there'll be some discussion about like how far removed does the descendant have to be kind of thing before, you know, they're eligible for, for some kind of sort of justice program. So you never know. And Sarah, it sounds like Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff really wanted to make this happen. And as we know, this is her last term in office. Is this really just part of a political legacy? Is that kind of seen as part of this effort? Well, the mayor is terming out this year. She's ending eight years of leadership in a city that has gone through a lot. And I think what we're seeing in her kind of final months is you know, the release of projects that she hopes will be a part of her legacy, including this particular project. I know that Karina told me she hopes that Oakland can be seen as a leader in terms of, you know, how to give land back to Indigenous people for healing and how to partner with the community to come up with this type of reparations. So, Justin, what do you think? I mean, is political timing part of this as well? Ooh, that, that's a good question. And maybe it is, you know, like you're timing out and you want something that's like a shiny little metal to hang on your legacy. And cool. Okay. Now, if that metal means that you're advancing reparations, then by all means, <laughs> like let this be some political grandstanding. And I hope that there are plenty of other elected officials who do that same thing. On my way out, I'm going to advance some legitimate reparations program. I'm going to give land back. And we would be in a better place. You know, and honestly, I'd be fine if it's a political show, if the end product is something that could benefit people generations from that. And a question for both of you. I mean, this latest development in Oakland, do you think it will serve as a kind of blueprint for successful reparations, maybe in other cities or regions? What seems to be the thing, the most important thing that has to happen in order for these efforts to actually work? Well, I think that's what the city and the land trust hope is that this is going to be a blueprint, but I think time will tell. I know for Oakland's case in particular, for that cultural resource center to open, the city will have to come up with an entirely new zoning designation to make that happen, which they plan to introduce hopefully sometime next year. So really the proof of whether this will be a blueprint or not is yet to be seen and we'll we'll keep track of it and and that that's such a like Sarah's reporting shows that they're like Oakland has planning in place there's like a long-term thinking when it comes to this and I think when you see these kind of reparations or sort of justice efforts happen in other cities like I would prefer those cities and counties like those elected officials to have those long-term plans in place because when they're just trying to like knee-jerk react to a movement they're just we're going to start having conversations about this thing and then we're going to see what we can do. And then all of the ideas flood in and they realize there's no way to do any of it. But, you know, if you're in Oakland, I guess, and, you know, the mayor has been working on something for years, like you see it roll out kind of seamlessly. Like, granted, we don't know what this is going to look like down the line, but clearly there was some thought that went into it. And I think other places, you know, honestly could, could learn from Well, Sarah and Justin, a really important topic. Thank you so much for your insight. Thanks, Cecilia. Yeah, thanks for having us. Sarah Ravani is an East Bay reporter, and Justin Phillips is a columnist for The Chronicle. Find Sarah's reporting on the Sigourite Land Trust and Justin's piece about Russell City at sfchronicle.com and on The Chronicle app. Thank you to King Kaufman for editing this episode and to you for listening.